uh, I'm going to read that to us now, um, and then we'll just look at it briefly together. So it's been great. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. Have we got that picture, David, in the thing? Lovely little pic. Hey, this is what we want to do. Fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what this book is about. That's what we need. That's what uh, you need this morning in the desert. So here we go. Let me read this to us. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, and he said, The time is coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hands to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenants and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their gods. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what's obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Well, last week, uh, Lee, uh, this was his little line on Hebrews 7. In Jesus, you have the perfect high priest, the high priest that you need. Now, my little line um, is almost identical. Children, should we play a game of spot the difference? You ready? Except I suppose it's like hear the difference rather than spot. But this is really what um, we come into Hebrews 8, and this is what it is about today. In Jesus, you have a real high priest who really saves you. Chapter 7 was, in Jesus you have the perfect high priest, the high priest that you need. And this one is, in Jesus you have a real high priest who really saves you. Just see, so this week it's about, what we're looking at is, how real Jesus is. How real what he is doing in heaven actually is. Because ultimately, isn't that the biggest problem that you find day to day? It's, Is Jesus real? That's the crunch. That's the bottom line. Is he real? Children, this is the thing you've got to grapple with. This is the thing you've got to decide on. Am I going to build my life on Jesus and his words? Because there is no point doing that if he's not real, is it? (laughs) What's the point of building your life on something that's fake, that is phony? 
And this is the same for us adults. Maybe we've been baptized, maybe even in this very pool. Do you know there's a pool beneath my feet here? I mean, there's no water in it at the moment, but um, this is where we get baptized over here. I remember Cam being baptized. Maybe he was one of the last people. Um, and soon, maybe we'll do it again. Oh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Um, but you say, don't you, I believe Jesus is real. I believe his life was real. I believe his death on the cross for me and for my sins was real. God really poured out his wrath on Jesus for my sin. Jesus really took it. Jesus really died. He was really buried. He really rose on the third day. That's mental, but he really did. I believe that. I believe that he really ascended. And right now, he's really sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And yet, even though you've said all that, and you want to believe that at the same time, you have all this unbelief. Is he really real? In the day-to-day, it's the reality of Jesus that is hard to believe, hard to hold on to, hard to grab and keep. Now, the cool thing about the Old Testament worship was it was very, very tangible, wasn't it? You don't get much more real than uh, grabbing your lamb, taking it to Bob the priest. And Bob the priest is someone, if you wanted to, you could touch him. I don't know how we'd find that, but you'd give him your lamb, and then you'd see Bob the priest kill that lamb right in front of you. Even if you were a bit lucid and you'd just woken up for the morning sacrifice, that would wake you up, wouldn't it? It doesn't get much more real, does it, than seeing an animal sacrifice like that. The way that they knew their Christian life was doing tangible, real things like this. It was doing ceremonial washings. It was having feasts that God had told them to do. Festivals that he told them to do where you sat around a table. This is the life that they lived. Is what Jesus has done as real as all that stuff? Is what Jesus has done, is who Jesus is real? And Hebrews 8 is this, that the Jesus stuff, the Jesus stuff is the real stuff. It's the other stuff that isn't the real stuff. But that. What Jesus has done, this is the foundation of the deepest foundation of reality. This is the most real thing. You could doubt everything else if you want, but that is the one thing that is more real than anything else that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that he is in heaven right now at the right hand of God the Father. That is worth believing. That's the real thing. So that is why he begins in chapter 8 by saying, the point of what I've been saying now for seven chapters, everyone, and seven sermons we've had here, what's been really the point of everything me and Lee have been saying? What's the point of the apostle uh, writing all this? The point is, we do have such a high priest. We do. That's what he wants them to know. We do have such a high priest. Now, he's used that such a high priest sentence already just a few verses before. In verse 26 of chapter 7, he says this, such a high priest meets our need. What does he mean by such? What does that mean, the such a high priest thing? Well, it's this in verse 25, one who is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And then it's in 27, unlike other high priests, this one, He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Such a high priest meets your needs. And this is the point. We do have such a high priest. Do you believe that this morning? I think if if there's one thing I want you to take away, I want you to go away believing we do have such a high priest. We do have such a high priest who meets my needs. Now, one thing you do know, don't you? Or maybe you don't know this. Maybe I need to remind you of this as well, is you are needy. 
The thing about this high priest, Jesus, is we're told here he meets our needs. Now, you know you've got needs, don't you? But, you know, we're so needy. We're so used to being needy that you can almost forget that you're needy. You know, like a fish swimming in water doesn't know it's just surrounded by water. We're so full of need, we can sometimes just think, well, that's just normal, isn't it? But no, we're needy. And we need someone to satisfy that need, to meet us at where that need is at. Here are some of the symptoms of you being needy. And I wonder if you recognize these thoughts. It's this sort of thing. Feeling downcast. If anyone here this morning is feeling down, that's because you've got a need that hasn't been met. It's when you say things like this, if I can just dot, 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 then I'll be all right. If I can just... Or it's saying, if only I had blank, then, then everything would be good. Or this is even worse, maybe. If only I hadn't done that thing. Oh, if only. That's the problem in my life. There's nothing I can do about that. I can't change the past. Ah, oh, but there's someone who can change the past, isn't there? Or as soon as I can just dot, 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 then I'll be great. Now, I don't know what the blank is for you. It could be anything. I think it depends who you are. It depends your situation in life. In secondary school, for me, if only I could just be more popular. If only I could just be liked by this group of people more and more, then my life would be great. If only I could just get my hands on this or that. If only I could just take that opportunity. Whatever it is, you know that you have needs, don't you? Now, what the writer of the Hebrews wants you to know is, and you might not be able to make this connection, the only place where your needs are met are in Jesus Christ. We do have such a high priest who meets our needs. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the only one who meets your needs. And it's easy to get into a rut of unbelief where you think Jesus isn't real. He's not really going to help me. Even if you think he's real, you think he's not really going to help me though, is he? We do have such a high priest who meets our needs. Know that today. But the problem with this church and the problem with us is when we live as if the shadows, not the real thing, the shadows are the real thing. Now, I remember Aaron and Izzy came to live with us for a few, like a month, uh, about six months ago. And Johan did this really funny thing where he started, um, he saw a shadow on the wall and he started trying to hit it. Johan thought, this shadow is a real thing that I need to attack. I need to get rid of it. It's quite scary. Now, we can live like that as well. And that is the problem with these people in the Old Testament. What are the shadows? Well, the shadows we're told here that they were living for are the old covenant way of life. What is this old covenant thing? Well, it's as opposed to the eternal covenant or the new covenant. The old covenant was the old setup with Levitical priests, with sacrifices, with the, uh, the temple being in the center of their life. Um, the doing of those things from the very beginning was never intended to be the reality of their life. It was never meant to be the thing, the end, the big thing that they were meant to focus on and pay their attention to. It was meant to only be a copy or a shadow of something that is much more real, much more significant. It says this in Galatians. Lee already mentioned something from this chapter. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Moses, from the very beginning, we're told here, is told on the mountain that I want you to set up something that looks a lot like 
what the reality of everything is. But it is just a copy. It is just a much more simplified version of the real thing. Um, it's a bit like this, right? My, my favorite films, and I get a lot of stick for this, are films based on true stories, right? So I watched a brilliant one on Netflix the other night. Has anyone seen The Trial of the Chicago 7? It's really good. Um, I recommend it. It's got Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne. Um, and what they're doing is, I, I like this uh, with true story films, is they are telling you a story of something that's happened. They are, they are reenacting, aren't they? something that has happened. But of course, it's way simplified because it's got to take two hours rather than several years. I think the trial took like six months. Well, if the film was six months, I mean, that would be, that would be a bit mental, wouldn't it? You'd never leave the cinema. So they've whittled it right down. They've simplified it uh, so it is viewable and understandable. That is what the tabernacle, that is what the Levitical priests, that is what all the temple stuff was all about. It was the two-hour simplified version of the true reality. Imagine if I was watching the trial of the Chicago 7 and I believed that what I'm witnessing is, uh, before my very eyes, is the actual event happening. Do you know what I mean? That, but I'd be insane. You'd be like, Sam, you've lost the plot. No, that's a film. It's portraying something. There's actors, they're acting. Church life in the Old Testament was actors acting. They were part of a big production. It was like Hamilton or something, you know, singing and dancing. But ultimately, they're just portraying something that is true, but it's a portrayal. It's not the real thing. It's simplified. It's whittled down. Now, imagine living as if Hamilton the musical was the real historical event itself that you're watching before your very eyes. That, he's saying here, that is absolutely ridiculous if you live like that. Don't live like that. It was always meant to point to something that is truly real, but it's to point beyond itself. It's to help you see the real thing. I understand a bit more now about the Chicago riots that happened uh, back then, you know, uh, because of the film. I understand a bit more. It's let me into something, a true reality that I didn't know about, and that was the point of the Old Testament style of worship. God wants his people to be let into that reality, but it's just a simplified version of that sort of thing. And this could be the same with, with you. Church life, even this together, is amazing, but this is meant to point you to someone who is much more real than even this. It is Jesus and what he has done. When you read the Bible, if you can diligently study the scriptures, but it's meant to point you to the one that they're all about, Jesus. Don't live like that. Don't come to church thinking you've impressed God. Don't read your Bible thinking it will impress God. You want to come here, you want to read your scriptures, you want to pray because you want to get to Jesus, who is the most real one in all creation, who everything is meant to point you to him. Now, I'll just end with this then. The most real thing, the most real thing is this new covenant. It's also called in the, the end, in the benediction I'll do, the eternal covenant. That's another name for it because it's not new in the sense that it came after the old covenant. It's new in the sense that it's living, it's active, it, it's made new almost every day as Jesus speaks to us. It's made new again. It's renewed. It's that sort of thing. Because it was actually Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Okay, so what, the most real thing is this. It is what Jesus does for sinners. That is the most real thing in all of the cosmos. There's another way that you can get onto today. If you've been living a religious life, thinking that you know, life is about me, coming to church, life is about me, doing the things... There's another way for you to live. And it's this covenant. Now, who's this covenant for? And it's great. I love this. It says, 
God found fault with the people. And then he says this, the time is coming when I'll make a new covenant with those very people. See, it's for the people who are sinners that God makes a new covenant. It's for a sinful people that he makes this new way. What is the new covenant? And then it's amazing. This is in Jeremiah. So the Old Testament is telling us there's this other way. There's this other promised life that you can get in on. And then it's seven things that Jesus does for sinful people. That's what he says here in verse 10 and onwards. This is the covenant I'll make. Let me say what they are. It's that Jesus will put his laws on your mind. It's that he will write his laws on your heart. He makes uh, himself to be your God. He makes you part of his people. He makes you know him. He forgives your wickedness and he forgets your sins. That is what this covenant is about. It's all about Jesus and it's all about what he does for sinners. And that is the life that you're meant to be in on. It's a life that isn't ultimately about you, although you are involved, you're part of this production. But at the center is the Lamb of God who's slain for the sins of the world. And that's what you need. You need such a high priest who does these things for you that you can't do. You need him. I don't know what you think you need, but you need him. He is who you need. He wants to change your mind so you think like him. He wants to change your heart so that you feel like him, so so that your desires are like his desires. He wants you to be still and know that he is God. He wants you to know you're not alone, but you belong to his family. He wants you to know him as your savior and as your Lord, but also as his bride. Also that he is like your father. He wants you to be intimate with him. He wants your sin to disappear as if it was never there in the first place, as if you never sinned. He wants to not just forgive it, but do something we can never do when we forgive. He says, I can forget your sin. That's incredible, isn't it? It's like, no, don't remember that happening. You know, just imagine that on Judgment Day. You're like, but Jesus, remember all that stuff I did? And he's like, no. (laughs) You're like, what? He's forgotten. It's forgiven and it is forgotten. That is what God can do for you in Jesus Christ. Final question is, where do I find it? Where do I find this new covenant? And it's a shame we're not having communion today. But you know, every time we do communion, when we pour the wine, we say something, we echo Jesus' words, where he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you. That is Luke chapter 22, verse 20. He says, for you, this is for you, this blood. See, it's not in your blood, in your sweat, in your tears that you get right with God, that you live life to the full, that you get to heaven. It's in his blood His sweat and his tears. That is the new covenant. It's in his blood. This is the most real thing in the world that Jesus died, that he rose again. And we have such a high priest who's able to deal with all your needs. Put your trust in him today. Shall I pray? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that this covenant isn't about what we do for God. It is about what Jesus has done. Thank you, Jesus, that you died. Thank you, though, that we don't have a a dead Savior in a grave. We have a living Savior in heaven, whoever lives to intercede for us, Lord. Help us to lift our eyes and fix them on Jesus and no help in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to have...